Bible, we're going to go to the book of Joshua again. Joshua chapter 7 and 8 tonight. Si trajo su Biblia, vamos a ir esta noche una vez más a el libro de Josué. Josué capítulo 9, perdón, capítulo 7 y 8. Uh, we spoke, uh, we've been speaking, uh, teaching on the book of Joshua for the last few weeks. And last Sunday, I shared about the vow, the the victory over Jericho. And so we're following up from there tonight uh, as we look at a great contrast to the victory of Jericho, which was the defeat at uh, a little village called Ai. And tonight, as we, as we uh, look at these two chapters, I want you to see the contrast between what brings defeat and what brings victory. How many of you want some victories? How many of you have ever had some victories? How many of you have ever suffered a defeat? How many of you like victory better? That's what I thought. Everybody wants victory. Todos queremos la victoria. Sin embargo, todos hemos pasado por derrotas. And uh, we want victory, but there are specific things that God uh, teaches us in his word that bring victories into our life. And so tonight we're going to be studying from these two passages of scripture. We're going to begin by reading in chapter 8, and then we're going to go back to chapter 7. But chapter 8 says, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear or be dismayed. Take all the people of war with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Verse 18, then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward I, for I will give it into your hand. So Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. Verse 26, but Joshua did not withdraw his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of I. Israel took only the cattle and the spoil of the city as a plunder for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for the opportunity you've given us to live, breathe, and worship. We thank you because you are faithful. And tonight as we come into your house to study your word, I ask that you would anoint my lips of clay to teach and preach the word of God. I ask that you would anoint the hearer tonight that in hearing the word, they might put it to fruitful use in their life. We ask that in Jesus' name, and the church said amen. 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 All right, if you look at chapter 7 and chapter 8 of Joshua, you see two very different stories. Chapter 7 is a story of an absolute defeat of the nation of Israel. And chapter 8 is the story of an absolute victory of the nation of Israel. Si usted estudia o lee, el capítulo 7 y 8 de Josué, se va a dar cuenta que Josué 7 relata la derrota de la, de la nación de Israel y el capítulo 8 de, uh, relata la victoria de la nación de Israel. Y esa noche vamos a estudiar un poco de cómo llegó a, a tener la derrota y luego cómo llegó a tener la victoria. And tonight we're going to look at what brought about the defeat and what brought about the victory. I think that as you look at these truths tonight, you're going to find that there are some very applicable life 
uh, lessons that you and I can learn from these passages of Scripture that are relevant to our life right now. You and I will probably never have to fight a, a city, especially not a city named I. But you and I are always going to be in some kind of a fight because the Bible tells us that we are in a spiritual battle. Our, our, our warfare is constant because there is an enemy constantly warring against the body of Christ, constantly warring against the church. Hay un enemigo constantemente guerreando contra el pueblo, la iglesia, contra el pueblo de Dios. Así que siempre vamos a estar en un estado de batalla. However, although you're always going to be in a state of battle, you don't always have to be in a state of defeat. Amen, somebody. Aunque usted y yo siempre vamos a estar en batalla, nunca tenemos o no siempre tenemos que estar en derrota. God has designed for you to, and I to walk in victory. Dios ha, ha tenido el diseño de que usted y yo caminemos en la victoria. So what has happened? Well, in chapter 6, Israel has uh, conquered the city of Jericho. En el capítulo 6, Israel ha conquistado la, la ciudad de Jericho. And I told you last Sunday that Jericho was a significant victory because number one, it was the first city to be captured in the promised land. Esta era la primer ciudad para ser conquistada en la tierra prometida. It was significant because it was captured without firing a single arrow or raising a single sword. It was captured by the victorious hand of God. Fue esta ciudad capturada por la victoriosa mano de Jehová. For that reason, God alone would get the glory out of Jericho. Y solamente Dios iba a tener la gloria de Jericho. I also mentioned to you that Jericho was the first fruits of the promised land. Les mencioné también que Jericho era, la primer, era el primer fruto de la tierra prometida. In other words, Jericho was the tithe of the promised land. Jericho era el diezmo de la tierra prometida. In other words, God was saying, when I defeat Jericho, I don't want you to take any of the spoils out of Jericho because that's holy unto me. And basically, what is the tithe or what is the first fruits? It's when God receives what belongs to him, and then he promises to bless the whole rest of the package. And so he says, I'm going to have the first victory. I'm going to get the glory out of Ai, and all of the spoils, pardon of Jericho, all the spoils belong to me. And if you give me that, I'll give you the whole rest of the nation. I'll give you all of the cities of the, of the land that I promised to you. And that's such a simple principle. But by, by the very next chapter, the principle has been violated and everything goes downhill from there. Ese era un principio muy básico, muy simple, pero desde ese punto comienza la derrota. Now, uh, just, just so that we know, we're talking about the tithe in the same way we talk about our financial tithe. When we say that Jericho was a tithe, we mean that when God says that something is his, it's his. And the first 10% of all increase belongs to God. Say amen, somebody. So God said, Jericho is mine. And when Jericho was defeated, the scripture says that a man of the Israelites saw some of the spoils of the city. And if you go to chapter 19, verse 19, I'm going to move around here a little bit just to get it all in. Uh, I want you to see what this man 
Saul. In chapter 7, verse 19 of uh, Joshua, the man's name was Achan. Say Achan. Achan was uh, an Israelite who was a part of this capture of the city of Jericho. And in verse 19 of chapter 7, Joshua said to Achan, uh, My son, I implore you, give glory to, to the Lord, the God of Israel, uh, and praise him, and tell me now what you have done, and don't hide it from me. And Achan answered and said to Joshua, Surely I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I have done. When I saw the spoil of the beautiful mantle from Shinar, or Babylon, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them, I took them, and they, behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. Now listen to what he's saying here. He says, when I saw the spoils of the city of Jericho, I saw some nice clothes. How many of you like nice clothes? Nobody likes nice clothes. How many like nice clothes? He saw some nice clothes. He saw some silver. And he saw gold. I want you to notice the pattern of temptation right here. Look at verse 21. It says he saw, underline the word saw. And then it says he coveted, underline coveted. And then it says he took. Underline took. This is always how temptation works. It begins with the eyes. Aquí en el verso 21 del capítulo 7, vemos el proceso de la tentación. Dios había dicho, no toque nada, en Jericó es mío. Pero este hombre acá, dice la escritura, que primero vio el oro, la plata y las vestiduras, y luego los deseó, y luego se los llevó. Now, that is the three-part pattern that we see in Scripture of temptation. And I want you to be on guard against that because that is the recipe for defeat right there. Ahí está el proceso de la derrota para nuestra vida. It always begins with the eye. Siempre empieza con el deseo de los ojos. Listen, it may not even be your physical eyes. It may be your spiritual eyes, your imagination. Which gets you into trouble. Puede ser su ojo físico, también puede ser su imaginación, la cual comienza a producir este problema en su vida. Think about Eve. The Bible said that Eve saw the fruit, remember, back in Genesis, and then she desired the fruit, and then she took the fruit. Uh, and the same pattern is laid out again and again in Scripture. The Bible said that Lot looked toward the valley of the Jordan. And then he, he desired to live in the, in the city of Sodom and ultimately moved in to the city of Sodom. And so there you have Achan, and he does this thing. He, he goes in and he looks and he sees. The Bible says that sin, when it is conceived, right up here, it starts to give birth in the mind. Achan thinks, if I... Take that garment and that silver and that gold. No one will know. I'll get away with it. And I'll be rich. And my family will be rich. He starts planning this thing. And so he sees, he covets, and he takes. 
He goes and hides it in his tent. Now imagine a tent with no uh, floor in it. He, he digs a hole in the dirt, puts his treasure down in there, covers it up, and now Achan thinks, I'm away scot-free. Because Joshua is talking about, we're moving out from Jericho, and we're going to go and attack the city of Ai. Now, Ai is a little village. And so Joshua sends out some spies to Ai. And he says, go and, and see what kind of city we have in Ai. And so when Joshua goes to, or these spies go, they come back to Joshua, and they tell him, Joshua, this village is so small, we don't even all have to go to defeat it. Just send 2,000 or 3,000 of us, and we will easily destroy this village. And so the story has moved on. The page of Achan has been left behind, and, and things are moving in a new direction. It looks like there's going to be an easy win uh, coming along the way. How many of you have ever had an easy win? Well, Joshua is pretty confident that he is about to experience an easy win. This is a little village, and it's not very strong, and two or 3,000 men will be able to take it down. And yet the Bible says that when those two or 3,000 men attacked Ai, or attacked Ai, the scripture says that the, the people of Ai routed them and killed 36 of Israel's men, and the others ran. Now just think about this picture. You have this army bigger than this village, and they're being chased by a village with, with inferior strength and inferior power because God was not in it. Ahora, el pueblo de Israel se levanta, dos o tres mil de ellos van a atacar esta aldea de uh, la cual es muy fácil de, de derrotar. Y dice la escritura que los de la aldea se levantaron contra Israel, los hicieron correr, mataron 36 de ellos. ¿Por qué? Porque Jehová no estaba en medio de esto. Now that's basically the story where I want you to be thinking about it as we look at the principles involved in winning or losing spiritual battles. Aquí vamos a ver los principios envueltos en ganar o perder las guerras o las batallas espirituales de nuestra vida. Now when you think about this story, you and I are really not just looking at Joshua, we're looking at ourselves. Because all of us, at one point or another, have done what Joshua did in this story. And the first thing that Joshua did, the first mistake that Joshua made was that he relied on his own strength. He relied on the strength that he uh, had in the nation of Israel, self-reliance is always the first step to defeat. Lo primero que uh, Josué hizo que causó esta derrota fue que él, uh, él dependió de sí mismo. Y la autodependencia siempre es el primer paso a la derrota. Now, you don't have to look too far or know the whole Bible to be able to answer this question. Just look at your life. And look at the major failures that you've experienced in your life. And tell me whether or not you were self-reliant in those moments. Every time that we experience failure in our life spiritually, it's because we have changed channels. We have stopped 
listening to the Spirit, and we have started to depend upon ourselves. What I know, what I've done, and you have to be very careful, especially after a big win. Jericho was a big win, but it made Joshua confident in himself. And this is a problem because sometimes you and I look at the way our victories come from God and they make us confident, but they need never make us cocky, all right? They never need to lead us to think, I don't need God anymore. And that's ultimately where the first step to defeat is. When a man or woman says, okay, God, you got, you got the big stuff, I got the small stuff. You handle the big problems, I'll handle the little problems. The Bible says that it is the small foxes that spoil the vine. It is those little things that you think you can handle and that I think I can handle that get way out of hand. Say amen, somebody. I know you don't really like to hear that, but that's, that's what uh, is true about all of us. The Bible says this in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. What can you do? What can you do? Nothing. Jesus said it. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, it seems like I've lived my whole life trying to prove that wrong, and God keeps proving me wrong. You can do nothing apart from God. And in another place, you read in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, what does the scripture say there? It says, I can do all things through Christ. So apart from Christ, nothing. With Christ, everything. Say amen, somebody. Because if you want victories in life, you're going to have to do them through Christ. His strength, his wisdom, his leadership, his direction. And when you are being led by him, there's going to be victory coming into your life. La victoria viene cuando usted y yo dependemos de Dios y no de nosotros. Y cuando uh, vemos lo que dice la Escritura, en, en uh, Juan capítulo 15, dice que apart, uh, apartados de Él no podemos hacer nada. Y luego Filipenses 4 dice que en Cristo todo lo podemos. Entonces ahí está el remedio. Si usted quiere victoria, las va a ganar en Cristo. Y si está sufriendo derrota, es porque no está caminando en el poder de Cristo. If you want victories, you have to do it in Christ. There's no way around that. And the, the sooner that we have learned that, the sooner we've gained victory, haven't we? But there's always that temptation to go back and do it my way. You think, I have experience. I know how this works. And God doesn't want us to depend on our experience. He wants us to depend on him. That's why sometimes God's instructions are so un, unusual and uncommon because they're not what we would do. It's not how I would do it. But when we do it his way, we're assured the coming victory. The second problem that Joshua had, the second mistake Joshua made, was that he listened to the voice of man rather than the voice of God. El segundo problema de la, la decisión que hizo Josué aquí es que él escuchó la voz del de hombre y no la voz de Dios. We've all done this. We've all gotten opinions from people before we've gotten God's opinion. And you see, when he heard the, the men, the men said, this is easy, Joshua. This is going to be a cinch. 
This is practically already won. This is easy money. Just send a few of us, and we will win this battle. And Joshua believed their voice, and he did not consult God. He didn't go and see, what is God saying? Josué oyó la voz de estos varones que le dijeron, esto va a ser fácil, no hay dificultad en esto, tenemos la fuerza para ganar, y se creó de ellos, los escuchó a ellos, y no buscó la voz de Dios. Y cuando uno no busca oír la voz de Dios, está presumiendo sobre Dios. When somebody does not stop to listen to the voice of God, they're presuming upon God. And I don't ever want to be presumptuous about God, but I want to make sure that God is always with me or that or rather I am with God. You remember uh, I told you about the, when, the moment in, jo- in chapter 5 of Joshua when Joshua had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and he asked the question, well, are you with me or are you with my enemies? And the Lord said, no, I'm not with you. I'm not with your enemies. I am the captain of the host of the Lord. I come on my own terms. I have my own authority. Joshua here has forgotten that. And he's going based on what he has heard from other men. And so we need to be conscious of that because if we want victory, not only do we need to have it in Jesus, but we need to be led by the Spirit of God. The Bible says there's there's an evidence to tell you whether you are born again or not. You know what the evidence is of the new birth? The Bible says this, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So if you want to if you want to know whether or not somebody is headed toward victory or failure just listen look at what what spirit is leading them because if it's the flesh they're going toward defeat but if it's the spirit of God they're going to find victory and you'll find victory as you are led by the spirit of God and the spirit led life is a life of total absolute dependence upon God La vida de la obediencia en la fe, el espíritu, es una vida de fe. Una vida que depende de oír de Dios. And uh, it seems like we get a little impatient sometimes with God, and we just go ahead and say, well, Lord, I'm going to go ahead and do this my way because you're taking a little too long. He said, just wait on me. Listen to me. Trust me. I will lead you. I'll guide you. Say amen, somebody. How many of you know that your life might have been a little easier if you had done that first? Here's the third problem that Joshua had. Aquí está el tercer problema de Josué. Is that he prayed second. El segundo problema, el tercer problema de Josué es que él oró segundo, no primero. When should you pray? When should you pray? First. Ask God first. Tell your neighbor, pray first. How many of you pray before you eat? We all pray before we eat, right? You pray before you eat chips and salsa? I'm just playing with you. And sometimes the chips are just too good, right? You say, Lord, I pray for what I'm about to eat and what I've already eaten. 
pray first. Why? What would have happened if Joshua had just gone to the Lord and said, Lord, this looks like an easy battle. I think we can win it, but I want to know what you say. What do you say? Is this mine or not? How do you want me to do this? That would have solved the entire problem. We wouldn't have chapter 8. We wouldn't have defeat. It would have gone, oh, pardon, we wouldn't have chapter 7. We would have gone straight to chapter 8. But because he didn't pray first, he goes to battle and he gets beat, whooped. All right, he just gets routed. And he now has 36 dead men on his hands, 36 widows, 36 funerals. How many of you know that will devastate the community? Why? Because he didn't stop to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Listen, I've told you many times, but don't make a major decision without talking to God. All right, if you want to eat fried chicken or fried fish, you might not need to pray a whole lot about that. But if you're going to take a new job, buy a new house, a new car, get married, whatever you're going to do, make a time to stop, put it on pause, and go ask God. Say, Lord, you know, my stockbroker thinks this is a great investment, but what do you say? My realtor thinks this is a great house to buy, but what do you say? Everybody thinks that's a great job to take, but what do you say? Because when you listen to God, you're listening to the mind that knows everything. The Bible said that the Spirit knows the mind of God, and He helps us when we pray. So that when He prays through us, He's praying the will of God, the mind of God. And there is nobody that can advise you better than the Holy Spirit because he knows everything there is to know. Say amen, somebody. So always pray first. There's moments when it just seems so easy, you don't need to pray. That's when you need to be the most careful. Cuando parece tan fácil que no tienes que orar, toma el tiempo para orar. Just say, Lord, what do you want me to do here? What do you want me to, what decision should I make? There have been major decisions in my life that were prevented by God in prayer. When I stopped to pray, God said, no, I don't want you to do that. But Lord, it's a good opportunity. No. I don't want that. The Bible said Paul was trying to go and preach in Asia, and the Holy Spirit kept saying, no, no, no. No, he was wanting to preach, and yet the Spirit of God kept preventing him because he had another purpose. He had a greater agenda, and so prayer is not about getting God to agree with us. It's about getting us to agree with God. It's not about getting God to see it my way. It's about getting me to see it God's way, and so until you can see it God's way, keep praying. They keep praying until your mind is in God's, aligned up with God's mind and God's will. Just keep praying. Don't make a decision based upon your flesh. Here's the fourth problem that Joshua had on his hands, and that was that there was sin in the camp. 
Aquí está el cuarto problema de Josué. Había pecado en el campamento. Now here's what happens. Joshua has this defeat on his hands. He's got 36 dead men, 36 widows. You know the story now. And he goes to God. I want you to look at the parallels, all right? In chapter 5, he has an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He falls on his face and he says, Lord, what would you say to me? He worships. But in chapter 7, he falls on his face and he says, Oh my goodness, God, why have you done this to me? Same posture. Different prayer. You ever had the same posture, different prayer? Sometimes we're worshiping like this. Other days we're like this. We're thinking, oh my goodness, when am I going to have for dinner? I hope Pastor keeps it short. Same posture. Whole different mind. Joshua is on one scene, he's worshiping and he's submitting. In the other scene, he's blaming God. Why did you do this? Now, I want you to look at what Joshua says because this is found in chapter 7, verse 6. This is very significant when you look at Joshua's prayer because I think all of us have prayed this prayer. And if you haven't, I certainly have a prayer similar to, to this. Chapter 7, verse 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes. Ever been dramatic? Come on, let's be honest. Have you ever been just dramatic? That Joshua was, was being dramatic. He tore his clothes. <laughs> and then he says, he fell on the face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. He's not in front of just anything, right? He's in front of the presence of God. So don't ever think you can't be petty in God's presence because it's been done before. He is, he is having a pity party in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. And he says, uh, not only that, but the elders with him. Oh, my. Can you imagine if Sunday morning I come in here and I'm tearing my suit and tie off. <laughs> and the elders behind me, you know, just carrying on. How disappointing would that be? Just a, discouraging would that be? And... He says, alas, O Lord God, verse 7, why did you, have you ever asked God this? Why did you? Why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan? Listen, do you, do you remember in the book of Exodus and Numbers when the people got into trouble in the wilderness. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? And Joshua was the one that was saying, no, we can go. We can't take the country. No, he's adopted their prayers. Why did you ever bring us across the Jordan only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us if only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan? Listen, this is, this is a very important thing to notice here. Joshua, is, this is his prayer. Lord, why did you bring me to the promised land? You should have left us in the wilderness. Doesn't that just sound 
like a pity party. Not only that, but he's forfeiting the promised land. He's saying, this, this new life you've given me is too hard. I should have just kept my old life. And you got to guard against that tendency to go back. To go back to what was safe and what was known and what was comfortable. That's why we cried when we came out of the womb. Because we wanted to go back. Mama said, no. <laughs> Can't come back. That's done. And, and God had taken Israel from Egypt, which was the land of not enough, into the wilderness, which was the land of just enough. And now they were in the promised land, which was the land of more than enough. And here's Joshua saying, I want to go back to just enough. Say, no. That's why the old hymn says, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. Say, I'm not turning back. Do you know what Jesus said? He said, anyone who lays his hand on the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of God. Tell your neighbor, don't look back. Listen, there's nothing back there to turn to. There's nothing back there worth turning to. The only thing back there is brokenness and scars and wounds that can't heal. The only thing back there is heartache and headache and trouble. Your future is in front of you, not behind you. Don't let one setback talk you out of the promised land. Say amen, somebody. I said, don't let one setback talk you out of the promised land. Oh, but this was a big defeat. This was a major failure. I really blew it. I don't care. God is a go-forward God. When the nation of Israel was up against the Red Sea, about to come out of Egypt, and there they were crying. We should have just stayed in Egypt. Now we're going to die out here in the hands of Pharaoh. And they went to Moses, and Moses went to the Lord. And the Lord said, why are you talking to me about it? Go forward. Stretch your hand over the Red Sea. Part that thing. So Joshua's having this pity party. And, you know, you can dress it in all the, the Christianese you want. All the Christian language and religious language. And, and you can dress it up real nice and pretty. But at the end of the day, it stinks to God. And, and it, although it stinks to God, I'm very grateful that God is... Patient. Because we've all prayed this prayer. And he just listens. Are you done yet? No. You just keep going. Are you done yet? No. I have some more. And when you're done, get it all out. Because God is not, God is not small. And he's not thin-skinned. God can handle your honest prayers. Aren't you glad about that? How many of you know he has handled your prayers? Joshua gets it all out, right? He says, why did you bring us if only we had stayed in the wilderness? At that moment, Joshua's thinking of manna. He's thinking of the old way of comfort. He's thinking of not having to fight any battles. 
the problem there is that that if only causes you to be blind to what God just did in your life. God just gave him Jericho. But he's crying this, if only. So now he's done, and he says, Oh, Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us, cut us off, uh, cut off our name from the earth, and what will you do for your great name? Now he has painted God into a corner. He said, God, it's all over, and it's your fault, and we are done for, and... I'm scared to death. That's really the bottom line, isn't it, of our desperate pity parties is fear. We're afraid of what's going to happen. We're afraid of what we don't know. And right here, Joshua's afraid of what people think. He's afraid of what people are going to say. These are all recipes for, for defeat. Verse 10, God said to Joshua, get up. Has, ever, has God ever said that to you? I think he went like this. Get up, boy. Why are you on your face? He didn't stop him from falling on his face in chapter 5. Because in chapter 5, when he fell on his face, it was a posture of victory. He was saying, I'm worshiping God. I'm trusting God. I believe in God. Over here, he's on his face, but it's in the posture of defeat. Because God doesn't look at a man's face. He looks at a man's heart. He says, Joshua, get up, boy. Why are you on your face? Israel has sinned. Simple. There's sin in the camp. The same thing happened in the book of Genesis. In chapter 4, Cain was upset because God did not accept his offering. You remember that? And the Lord had accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's offering. And I'm a little brother, but I imagine that the worst thing that can happen to a big brother is when their little brother gets honored by God and not them. Oh, how dare you? Cain is having the same pity party that Joshua is having, and the Lord says to Cain, if you would do right, I'll bless you. See, it's that simple. To go from defeat to victory, God says, get the sin out, I'll bless you. Do it my way, I'll bless you. Obey me, I'll bless you. And so they went and they found Achan. And Achan, you remember the guy with the silver and the gold and the fancy clothes? He thinks, nobody knows. He thinks, my little sin won't bother anybody. He thinks, what I'm doing won't affect everyone. He thinks that nobody can see what God sees. And God says, because there's sin in Achan, I can't give victory to the whole camp. I just want you to be very cautious about taking sin lightly because sin affects more than you know. El pecado afecta mucho más que lo que usted y yo pensamos. No hay que dejar el pecado dominar en nuestra vida. 
The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26, when one suffers, they all suffer. And when one rejoices, everyone rejoices. And so in the body of Christ, we have to bear one another's burdens. And if you find someone living in sin, what does the Bible tell you to do? It says to, to bring them, to love them, to repentance. It says if you have taken a brother in a fault, go talk to him. Go and encourage him to seek righteousness. Why? Because that's the only way they can get to victory. If they will get that sin practice out of their life. And now we get finally to this place where this whole matter has been dealt with. And Joshua goes into chapter 8 with a whole new approach. And first of all, in chapter 8, we read that he goes to the Lord. He prays first. And listen to what the Lord says to him. He says, I have given into your hands the king, the people, the city, and the land. I've given everything to you. It's all going to come into your hands. But I want you to take the whole nation with you. I want you to take the whole army with you. You see, victory is an every man on board proposition. For a church to have victory, everyone has to be in on it. Listen, if you want to have victory, we all need to be fighting the fight. And all of us have a part to play. And all of us have a place. And all of us have a responsibility. And when everyone's doing what God has gifted them to do and called them to do, we see victories. And when one gets the victory, the other can rejoice because we're a body. The first time Joshua went with just a few and got defeated, God says, I want the whole nation to go. Speaking about the men of battle. I want everybody in. And God has so many great things for us as a church. And he's been doing so many great things for us as a church. Do you know that the key to that is our unity and our commitment to go all in together? Say amen, somebody. Because when, when one wins, we all win. When somebody walks down this aisle and gives their life to Christ, we all won the victory. There is an incredible power that comes in that unity of the body of Christ coming together and saying, God, we know, we trust, we have confidence in your ability to make this thing victorious, to bless us, to strengthen us. And then the Bible said that when they had gone, God gave them a strategy. He gave them a plan. Now they're not working on their own, relying on themselves, but they're relying on God's plan, God's strategy. You know, you can pray and ask God to give you a strategy and give you a plan. And if you listen, he'll give you a plan. He'll tell you what to do. Listen, next time you get bad news, whether it be from a doctor or from a lawyer or a judge or whoever it is, you get bad news, 
First thing you need to do is go talk to God and say, God, what's the game plan? Who do you want to help me pray about this? What do I need to do? What is my approach? What do you want me to say? What don't you want me to say? Get God involved from the beginning and get the strategy from heaven for how you need to approach this battle that is on your hands. And then we read, and the the scripture says that Joshua was instructed by God to take his javelin, his spear, and to hold it up. To hold it up during the entire battle. Now, I don't know if you realize how heavy a spear is, but it's a heavy piece of equipment. The reason it's heavy is so that when it's thrown, it has enough enough weight behind it to be able to thrust a, a body and get through armor. So this is not a microphone or even my Bible, which is pretty heavy. This is a spear, and... And Joshua has to hold that up during the entire battle. Now, here's what I want you to know. First of all, this was not the first time this had ever been done. Because the scripture says that one time Joshua was on the battlefield and Moses was on the mountain. And the Bible said that while Moses held up his hands, the army prevailed. But when Moses lowered his hands, the army was defeated. And so Aaron and Ur came along and they held up Moses' hands and they sat him on the rock so that there could be victory given to the church, to the nation of Israel. And now Joshua is just acting upon what God is telling him, but he's seen this before. He's seen God do this before, and he has his hand up. The Bible tells us that he held that sword or that javelin the entire battle. I don't know how long it was. Most likely a a couple of hours at least, maybe two or three hours, because they had to run after these people as they fled before the nation of Israel. And the entire time when the men would look back, they would see Joshua standing there with his javelin drawn. Can I tell you, first of all, you have to be that Joshua. You have to take the sword of the Spirit and cling to it. Hold it up and and believe that God is going to do what he has promised. No matter what. No matter the circumstances, no matter the trouble, no matter the trial, you hold up the word of God before you. You trust in what God has said in the, in the text of his word. He's going to bring it to pass. Are you holding on to the word? You're going to be tempted to, to stop trusting. You're going to be tempted to stop depending. Hold on. Because look, you're not just fighting for you. It's other people who are going to win because you're going to win. But what do you do if your hands do get tired and you do lose faith and you do lose strength? And I tell you, there's a Joshua in the Bible who never failed. Except he's in the New Testament because the name of Jesus is actually the, the Greek form of the name Joshua. Jesus 
is that one who has upheld the righteousness of God. Jesus is that one that has upheld the word of God. Jesus is that one whose prayers have been so effective that you can win battles. Because when you look up, you see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding and praying for you. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about a victory that has been guaranteed because of the great high priest and victor of the church. Jesus. Is your Joshua tonight. And he knows the will of God. And he knows the mind of God. And he knows the word of God. And he has upheld it to the letter. So that you and I can look to him. And be encouraged and strengthened in the battle. That's why he said. Apart from me. You can do nothing. But with me. You can do all things. Now, I want to close with this thought tonight because the place where the sin was dealt with for the nation of Israel was called Achor, the valley of Achor. What was the man's name? Achor. So Achor is the place where Achan died. And the Bible says this in Hosea chapter 2, verse 15. I will give to her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor will become a door of hope. Listen, if you have blown it, if you have failed, if you have a valley of Achor in your life where you look back and you say, that's where I blew it, that's where I messed up, that's where I got off track, that's where I took the detour, that's where I took the wrong turn, God says, Trust me. Give it to me. Repent of your sin. Let me take it. Let the blood of Jesus cleanse you of sin. And he says, I will make the valley of your defeat a door of hope. I will make the place of your failures a place of new beginnings. And maybe I'm not telling you something that's going to happen. Maybe tonight I'm telling you something that has already happened because Jesus took your mistakes and your mess and he made a, a doorway. He made a, a deliverance. He made a victory for you out of defeat. If that's true, I want you to stand up and just give him thanks tonight. Just begin to thank him because he took our mess. He took our mess and he made a miracle. He took our failures and he made a success story. He took our trial and he made a testimony. And tonight he says to you, I can turn any valley into a doorway. I can turn your problem into a victory. Trust me. Rely on me. Listen to my voice.